Hi, everyone out there. I have another great announcement today from the Parthenon Podcast Network. I have a preview of an episode from fellow network member, Professor James Early of the Key Battles of American History podcast. In this episode of Key Battles of American History, host James Early and his guest, Sean McIver, follow a long-established Key Battles of American History tradition by giving a brief overview of the post-war lives and careers of the major leaders of the Axis and Allies, which were discussed in this series. Now, if you listened to the History of the Papacy podcast or Beyond the Big Screen, you will know James well, as well as Sean. We did the great uh, four-part series on the movie Gettysburg, which you should definitely go out there and enjoy. Both Sean and James are longtime friends of not only the show, but they are personal friends, and we visited on many occasions. So definitely check out their show enjoy this preview, then make sure you go over and subscribe to Key Battles of American History on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. Links to find how are in the show notes. See you next time. Hello and welcome to another episode of Key Battles of World War II in Europe, our 10,000-foot survey of the Second World War in Europe and the areas around it. I'm your host, James Early, as always, and my co-host, as always, is Sean McIver. We are in the middle of a four-part series, which we're calling our epilogue, or massive epilogue. You may recall in our last episode, we talked about some of the changes that the Second World War wrought on Europe, on America, and on other places. So we saw a lot of changes were made, a lot of major changes. And we're going to shift gears, and in this episode, we're going to follow a long-standing key battles of American history tradition, and we are going to focus on key leaders in the war. We're going to tell you what happened to just the top of the top leaders after the war and what went on with their career and their life, and when did they die, and how old were they? So this is a tradition going all the way back to my Civil War series many years ago. And it's one of my favorite things to do. So we're going to jump right into it just a minute. And again, we can't possibly cover every single person. You may be thinking, well, what about so-and-so or what about so-and-so? I deliberately limited this to people who, first of all, they had to be alive at the end of the war. So that eliminated a lot of people. Especially Germans. Yeah, especially Germans, as we've seen in our regular series, as well as our downfall movie episode and also our uh, one on Valkyrie as well. But yeah, so we're just doing a handful from each country. Before we get going, though, I want to point out a correction, a very good correction that I received from listener Lee Beaumont. Lee Beaumont is a colonel in Early's Raiders. And he pointed out to me that back in the Torch episode, I said that the five-star rank no longer exists. But that is not technically correct. It still exists. This is from the Arlington Cemetery website. It says, the five-star rank still exists, although no U.S. officers have held it since the death of General Bradley in 1981. The president may promote a general or admiral to five-star rank at any time, with Senate approval. However, U.S. military policy has been to award five-star rank only when the rank of an American commander must be equal to or higher than that of officers from other nations under his or her control, as was the case in World War II. 
So interesting. Did you probably knew that, Sean? Right? Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the rank is still part of the official military code, right? Military structure. Yeah. The interesting thing also is that hasn't been used. It hasn't been used very much. But the also the interesting thing is that George Washington. There's a debate about whether he has a is a six star general or is just a five star general with the highest level of precedence of any of the generals. But he has kind of a different titled rank. Retro. Yeah, General of the Armies. General of the Armies, yes. Uh, As does General Pershing, General but Pershing, uh, yeah. but neither yeah. one of them ever wore a, a six-star insignia. So Yes, yes. And the other thing was, now, there was one individual, not to get too far down the line here, but there was one individual who wanted to wear a six-star, and that was my favorite commander of all time, facetiously, Douglas MacArthur, when he was planning to lead the great invasion of Japan, he was going to be over multiple five-star rank American and British and you know British field marshals and and five-star ranked officers, and so the idea was to name him a six-star general so that he could outrank everybody because uh, he wished <laughs> because he wished. Yes, he actually, he even had insignia design. It was the five-star Pentagon style stars with another star in the middle. Oh, I bet he did. Good old McCarthy. Well, we're not going to be discussing him today. We no. Get him in the we'll, actually, we'll discuss a little bit about him. Okay. <laughs> as little as possible, please. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get cracking with the Germans. Uh, as Sean pointed out, there's just not that many left. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with Karl Dönitz, or Dönitz. He was the second and final Nazi president of Germany, serving from April 30th, which was the day of Hitler's death, until May 23rd, when his regime was dissolved by the Allies. Following the war, Dennis was indicted as a major war criminal at the Nuremberg trials on three counts, conspiracy to commit crimes against peace, war crimes and crimes against humanity, planning, initiating and waging wars of aggression and crimes against the laws of war. He was found not guilty of committing crimes against humanity, but guilty of committing crimes against peace and war crimes against the laws of war. He was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment. Chester Nemitz's affidavit stating that the U.S. Navy had waged their own unrestricted submarine campaign in the Pacific worked in Dennett's favor. After his release, Dennett's lived in a village near Hamburg until his death in 1980 after a prolonged illness at the age of 89. Well, the next right. person that did survive the war and the immediate aftermath of the war was Albert Speer. And after the uh, Albert Speer was the Minister of Armaments, he was basically sort of the architect of the Third Reich in, in a lot of ways, in terms of like physically the architect. Uh, now, after the war, Speer was among the 24, quote, major war criminals who were arrested and charged with crimes of the Nazi regime at the Nuremberg trials. He was found guilty of war crimes and crimes against humanity, principally for the use of slave labor. This is because the Germans, the Nazis used slave labor and in armaments and in programs throughout their existence. He narrowly avoided a, a death sentence. Now, he served his full term, and he was released in 1966. He used his writings from the time of his imprisonment as a basis for two autobiographical books, Inside the Third Reich and Spandau, The Secret Diary. Spandau was the prison where the lead Nazis were imprisoned. Speer's books were a success. The public was fascinated by an inside view of the Third Reich. He died of a stroke in 1981 at the age of 76. Now, more recent scholarship has cast doubt on some of Spears' recollection, and there was criticism that he whitewashed his own role in things. His recollections of private discussions with Hitler are especially problematic because we only have his word to go by. Because 
a private conversation between him and Hitler, the only person that would have witnessed it would have been Hitler and himself. So, And you see this in a scene in Downfall, we talked about this, where Speer tells Hitler, I have been secretly you know, countermanding your orders and preventing your orders to destroy Germany throughout for the last multiple months. And that came directly out of Speer's book. He claimed he had that discussion with Hitler and told him. And there's no way really to prove it because he's dead, and it was only his work, and Hitler wasn't there to, to counterman him. In some cases, there were conversations with Goebbels and Hitler, where you could go by Goebbels' diaries, because Goebbels was a fanatical diarist, so he wrote down pretty much everything that happened. And now we move on to Smiling Albert Kesselring, a man that was many, many times in our series. He was both a an air and a ground commander. Yeah, unusually. Yeah. All right. After the war, Kesselring was convicted of war crimes and sentenced to death for ordering the murder of 335 Italian civilians in the Ardeatine massacre and for inciting and ordering his troops to kill civilians in reprisals against the Italian resistance movement. The sentence was subsequently commuted to life imprisonment. A political and media campaign resulted in his release in 1952, ostensibly on health grounds. He published his memoirs, Zoldat bis zum letzten Tag, which means a soldier to the last day. 1953, Kesselring accepted the honorary presidency of three veterans organizations, the Luftwaffenring, consisting of Luftwaffe veterans, the Verbund Deutsches Afrika Corps, the Veterans Association of the Afrika Corps, and more controversial, the right-wing Der Stahlhelm, or the Steel Helmet. Kesselring died in 1960 at the age of 74. Problematic. The last German we're going to talk about is Heinz Guderian. Heinz Guderian surrendered to the United States Armed Forces on May the 10th, 1945, and he was interned until 1948. He was released without charge and retired to write his memoirs. These memoirs were entitled Panzer Leader, which, and this autobiography became a bestseller and is widely read to this day. Guderian's writings promoted several post-war myths, including that of the, quote, clean Wehrmacht, which is that the Wehrmacht was not guilty of all the crimes. It was really the SS and the Nazis and that the army was somehow, you know, only doing their soldiers' duties. Now, yeah, exactly. Well, in his autobiography, Guderian portrayed himself as the sole originator of the German Panzer Force. He was not, but he was one of the major theorists, so he does deserve some credit for that. And he omitted any mentions of crimes that he may have authorized or condoned. And there's controversy about that, whether or not he actively allowed his troops to commit war crimes or not, and we'll never really know the answer to that question. He was fired multiple times by Hitler, that's for sure, and kept getting brought back. So, you know, there's something there. But at any rate, Guderian died in 1954 at the age of 65. And he's kind of a popular figure among military theorists, especially because he was very well written. He wrote books before the war as well. Okay, let's move on to the Soviets now. And of course, we're going to start at the top with Joseph Stalin. After the war, Stalin started another reign of terror, purges, executions, exiles to labor camps, and persecution in the post-war USSR. Well, would you say you started another one or just resumed it? Well, started another one. Yeah, a new yeah, one. Okay. You could say resumed the same one that he had going all along. You could think of it that way, too. He only put it on hold so that they could fight the war, and he couldn't be killing a bunch of his own people when he needed them out on the battlefield, although they certainly did kill a lot of fugitives and other That's true. People that like people who inflicted, who shot themselves, basically self-inflicted wounds and all kinds of other. That's true. People that and even occasionally launched artillery barrages that killed some of their own people. That 
Uh, that's Stalin. But it gets worse. The point is, is after the war, he suppressed all dissent, anything that smacked of foreign, especially Western influence. Stalin also famously, as we talked about last time, established communist governments throughout Eastern Europe. And in 1949, he led the Soviets into the nuclear age by exploding an atomic bomb. In 1950, he gave North Korea's communist leader Kim Il-sung permission to invade the United States-supported South Korea, and that triggered the Korean War. In the late 1940s, Stalin's health began to decline, and he died of a stroke in 1953 at the age of 74. And here's a fun after fact. His body was embalmed and preserved in Lenin's mausoleum in Moscow's Red Square until 1961. So he was the he and Lenin were there side by side <laughs> until 1961, as I said, it was removed and buried near the Kremlin walls as part of the de-Stalinization process initiated by Stalin's successor, Nikita Khrushchev. So he had to just be buried just like any other person. Yeah. Well, after the war, so speaking of people that Stalin saw as, as a threat, Georgi Zhukov, the famed general commander at the, in the front, after the war, his success and popularity caused Stalin to see him as a potential threat. He stripped Zhukov of his positions, relegated him to military commands of little strategic significance. After Stalin's death in 1953, Zhukov supported Nikita Khrushchev's bid for Soviet leadership. Previously, Khrushchev had sort of been a toady to Stalin, or had worked his way up to one of the chief toadies of Stalin. But at any rate, when Stalin died, Zhukov supported Khrushchev and this blocked an attempt by the head of the secret police and a genuine monstrous person, Latverinti Beria, to succeed Stalin's. He Latverinti tried to assume power or you know, work his way into power, and he was stopped and stopped quite violently by Zhukov. Allegedly, Zhukov fired the bullet that killed Beria. In 1955, Zhukov was appointed as defense minister, and he was made a member of the Presidium, which was sort of the high council of the Communist Party and Soviet government. 1957, though, he lost favor again, and he was forced to retire. He never returned to a position of influence, and he died in 1974 at the age of 77. Okay, moving on to another successful Soviet general, Ivan Konev. Konev replayed Marshal Zhukov as commander of Soviet ground forces, in 1946. In 1956, he was appointed commander of the Warsaw Pact Armed Forces, and he led the Vox, which was 1956, and the Prague Spring, which was in 1968. In 1961, as commander of Soviet forces in East Germany, he ordered the closing of West Berlin to East Berlin during the building of the Berlin Wall. So, boy, he had his hand in a lot of Major Cold War events. Well, he would have also been in command. Well, he would have been in command of the Warsaw Pact. He would have been in command of Soviet forces during the the Berlin Crisis in right forty eight. Yeah, so he was definitely dead. He remained a popular military figure in the Soviet Union until his death in nineteen seventy three at the age of seventy five. Next, we'll talk about Konstantin Rokossovsky. After the war, Rokossovsky, who was an ethnic Pole became defense minister and deputy chairman of the Council of Ministers in the newly established Polish People's Republic. This was the communist government of Poland that Stalin set up. And he was forced out of office in Poland in 1956 after Władysław Gomułka became the leader of Poland. Rokossowski then returned to the Soviet Union, where he lived out the rest of his life until his death in 1968 at the age of 71. Okay, let's move on to the British now, and of course... We're going to have to start at the beginning with Winston Churchill. Okay, sorry. I promise that's my last bad Churchill imitation. 
All right. So as we talked about in the last episode, Churchill was defeated in the prime minister election of July 1945. But after that, he continued to lead the conservative party and he served as leader of the opposition for six years. On March 5th, 1946, Churchill gave his famous Iron Curtain speech, which you heard a clip from in our last episode. And some people consider this to be the unofficial start of the Cold War. In the 1951 general election, the conservatives won an overall majority of 17 seats, and Churchill again became prime minister. In his second term as prime minister, Churchill continued to oppose the spread of Soviet influence and worked to build a solid foundation of friendship and cooperation between Britain and America. On the evening of June 23, 1953, Churchill suffered a serious stroke and became partially paralyzed down one side. The matter was kept secret, and by November, he had fully recovered. Queen Elizabeth knighted Churchill in 1953. Churchill retired as prime minister in April 1955 and was succeeded by his foreign minister, Anthony Eden. Churchill died in January 1965 at the age of 90. Churchill is generally considered to be one of the greatest British prime ministers, if not the greatest, in history. Polls of the British people have consistently ranked him as the greatest Briton of all time. And Sean pointed out to me that his history of the English-speaking peoples and his books on the two world wars are considered masterpieces. I've actually not read them myself. I'm assuming you probably have, Sean. Yeah, I've read several of them. You know, the books on the two world wars, especially the Second World War, is from his perspective, that's for sure. So <laughs> you have to take yeah, that. Take it with a slight grain of salt. Slight grain of salt of how much he predicted everything that happened. But they're, he's a magnificent writer, so... But the English-speaking people, sometimes he goes off into rabbit holes like he does like a whole of that one. He, he goes deep into the American Civil War, which is odd, but it's, it's yeah. <laughs> very deep. Well, I was going to say one other thing, a couple of things, too. One thing is that if you want to see a good portrayal of Churchill in this second term in the early 50s, watch The Crown. Yes. The Netflix original series, The Crown, which is just top-notch, and he's... Prime Minister, through, I think, pretty much the first season, he's played by John Lithgow. Interesting choice. But yeah, an American, younger British. And we've talked a million times about British actors playing American roles or Australians, but yeah. here you have an American playing a Brit. And But he does a very good job. He's way too tall, but other than that, yeah. and he's right about the right age, too. So yeah. Another thing I was going to say, isn't it interesting, Sean, that this man drank enough alcohol to put all of the rest of us <laughs> under the table and he lived to be 90 and smoke cigars too i know he smoke cigars constantly yes yeah so there you go people don't listen to the health experts if it's good no. enough for church no i'm kidding but anyway so let's talk about his successor now yeah so his successor you know between terms is yeah as prime minister his successor was clement attlee who was the labor leader and Atlee's gov labor government undertook the nationalization of public utilities and major industries in the immediate post-war world. And they implemented wide-ranging social reforms, including passing of the National Insurance Act, which is sort of, of 1946, which is sort of a basically what, like Social Security, a public insurance and retirement. And the National Assistance Act, which was also uh, sort of like a welfare program, but the, probably the most famous one and the biggest thing that they did was the formation of the National Health Service. Public health care, nationalized health care for the British people. And this was in 1948. And he also oversaw numerous austerity measures to implement these programs 
also to pay down the war debt and to ensure the economy didn't completely crater after the war. So there was a lot of tightening of belts in England, and England was kind of a dour, drab place in the late 1940s and 1950s. Now, in foreign affairs, Atlee's government focused on decolonization, including the partition and independence of India into the nations of, at the time, East and West Pakistan and India, as well as the independence of Burma and Ceylon, and uh, which is now called Sri Lanka, and Myanmar and Sri Lanka, actually, to be specific. Now, the dissolution and also the dissolution of the British mandates in Palestine and Transjordan. And so this resulted in the nations of Jordan and of Israel and of the Palestinian state. He also encouraged the United States to take a vigorous role in the Cold War. They were unable to afford military intervention in Greece during its civil war because the Balkans have traditionally been the British sort of area, especially Greece, of influence. So he called on Washington uh, to counter the communists there. And a strategy of containment that was formalized between the new nation became known as the Truman Doctrine, which is that the United States would fight communists in if communism in taking over nations that didn't have it already. Now, Atlee supported the Marshall Plan to rebuild Western Europe with American money, and in 1949, he did promote the NATO military alliance against the Soviet bloc. So, to this is to his credit. He'd been a leading opponent of Germany even before the war as well. Now, he was defeated by Winston Churchill in the election of 1951, and Atlee remained the leader of the opposition for four more years. Four more years. Four more years. Text the word HISTORY using the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to a wonderful product that can help you finally succeed in shedding that extra weight. Jeff in Indiana lost 55 pounds with Calitrin. Lily in Tennessee shed 42 pounds. Beth is sleeping much better and her joint aches have eased up considerably. Text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 right now to see this week's special offer on Calitrin. Calitrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of our special offer. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY. That's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. Using the code 30605. And we'll send you a link to this special offer. 